my motivation is changing the world. I, you know, it's just as simple as that. I want to make a difference. I want to leave a legacy that matters. And I think what's wonderful about the organizations I've started is they're all still in existence. They're all still going wow. strong. And that's what it means to be a startup person. Welcome to 20-Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, Upwest, and Hippo Insurance. Welcome, everyone, to episode 199. Our guest today is Denise Brousseau, founder and CEO of the Thought Leadership Lab. Denise is the founder and CEO of Thought Leadership Lab, where she works with executives and entrepreneurs to build their visibility and credibility. She co-founded the Springboard Enterprises, the prestigious women's startup launchpad that has led to over $9 billion in funding for women entrepreneurs. She was recently a lecturer at Stanford Graduate School of Business, where she received her MBA, and is the author of Ready to Be a Thought Leader. In 2012, the White House honored her as a champion of change. Denise Brousseau, thank you so much for being on my show. How are you? I'm very well, Michael. Nice to talk with you. I am so excited to hear about your journey and the different organizations that you are a part of. Uh, we're not going to be able to talk about everything that you've done, even though I want to talk about everything because it's so, so cool. Besides the fact that you're a lecture, you were a lecturer at Stanford Business School and you were honored as the champion for change uh, by the White House. And you were, I think, named one of 100 most influential women in Silicon Valley as well. Uh, so so a lot a lot to talk about, definitely. Uh, but before we dive into uh, two specific uh, wonderful organizations you were a part of, Futura Health and Vote by Design, both related to Stanford, I'd love to, to hear a little bit about yourself. And you, you mentioned to me that you started your first company at the age of 26. And I'd love to understand a little bit about your life journey and what led you to do all the awesome things that you do. By the way, one of the most awesome things that I found was that you're on the board of a local theater company right in the Bay Area, which won the Tony Award. It did. And it's been such a pleasure. You know, you never think I've been a huge theater goer my whole life. And uh, to get invited to serve on this board was such a dream. And then, you know, to literally right after I joined, they won the Tony. And so like, sir, I'll take credit. (laughs) Are you more interested in in, uh, plays or musicals for theater? Um, It's both, which I love. It's three musicals every year and four uh, standard plays. And so it's the best of all possible worlds. All right. So I have to know that your favorite musical? Oh my goodness, my favorite. That's not a fair question. It's like choosing between a mother and a father. A a musical you love. But I will go back to my earliest days. I think the first musical I ever fell in love with was The Sound of Music. And just recently, I went back and watched the movie. I had not seen it in decades. And so what a pleasure to realize that that musical really stands up over time. A hundred, a hundred percent. It's timeless. Okay, so going back to your journey, you're starting a company at the age of 26 and walk me through uh, some of your path. Well, you know, I started my career uh, really kind of very eclectic, had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. And uh, but I moved out to California after coming out here on a business trip and sort of stumbled my way into the tech industry. And um, my first company went under kind of quickly after I had joined it. And uh while I was there, I fell in love with this Macintosh computer. And so I ended up going into another uh, consumer software company, which I loved. But on the side, I started this uh, Macintosh consulting business and started uh, helping install computers and train people on computers and ended up making more money in my little side business than I did in my day business, which was fine because it was really where my heart was. And and it was actually that experience uh, that really 
pushed me to go to business school, you know, to go back to Stanford and uh, get my MBA because I was thinking, you know, I love this little company, but I don't know how to scale it. I just had right. no real understanding of what it took to do that next step. And so when I went back um, to get my MBA was with that entrepreneurship goal, but also I did a focus in nonprofits. And so coming out of Stanford, I had the I went back into the tech industry, but on the side, I started a nonprofit organization with a bunch of friends. And it was really the, the culmination of both of those loves, which was an, an organization called the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs, a nonprofit. And it was all about women and venture capital. How could I help others who were going through what I was going through to really scale? How do you do that? How do you raise venture capital? Why would you want to? Why would you not want to? And then we built this this community and uh, grew it to seven cities across the country. And I helped start the first venture capital conference for women entrepreneurs, Springboard, that has um, helped now women raise over nine billion in capital. Wow. So that was sort of that you know really joyous journey of women's entrepreneurship. It had its downside. You know there was economic downturns and struggles. But then after that, um, you know, I did a little other eclectic things, did some politics, and then I uh, started in really the journey that I'm in now, which is how do I help people make the journey from leader to thought leader? When I was a... You actually taught a course, right, at at Stanford Business School about that. Yeah, that's really my passion right now is how do I help people, primarily women, but everybody, really think through, like, what does it take to be a thought leader? Why do you need to think about this? Why does this matter? And so I wrote a book on the subject. I do a lot of consulting and coaching and teaching, um, both at Stanford and on LinkedIn Learning. And that's really the work I do today. So so talk to me a little bit about this jump between a, a leader and a thought leader. What, what is that all about? Well, it's a wonderful question because I think it's been such an overused word. And part of what I've been trying to do in, in working in this field is to recapture what I think is the essential elements. So for me, leader is someone who is really what I call one to many. They usually have control over the people that they're interacting with, that they're managing, they're leading because they are in some ways connected to these folks, either through a direct relationship or uh, somewhat a matrix organization. But when you think about thought leadership, I think about that as many to many. How do you get people to take the ideas that you're advocating and carry them forward to their communities? So it's really thinking about this ripple effect of how do we build change? How do we build essential um, movements. And that is really this construct of being a thought leader. So it's a really different set of skills. I mean, it's certainly the essential elements of, of leaders, but then it adds a whole set of skills of mostly communication skills about how do you really move beyond that to become a thought leader. So for anybody watching this, that, that we don't have the privilege of being in that class and, and going through that journey with you, give me, give me some of the, some of the insights that, that, students taking that course at Stanford w- would get about understanding how to how to have this one-to-many relationship uh, as a leader? I think it begins with really understanding that you can't do this in every field. You know, you have to really double down and find one particular niche that's really yours, someplace that you can own and that you have some passion around. So it's not even just about expertise. It is about having some driving passion around making some change. So I talk a lot about this what-if future. So when I was starting the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs, my what if future was, what if women could have 50% of the venture capital funding in the United States? You know, at the time, it was less than 1% when we began. And sadly, not a whole lot has changed. I think in a good year, we might get to 4% or 7%. Really? Yeah. No, it's been years. We have made very little progress. And so that was 
So your what if future can be far, far away. It can be something you're striving to. Um, But the other thing to understand, I think the big differentiator between leaders and thought leaders is this idea of being clear in developing frameworks and blueprints and things that others can pick up and carry forward. It's, it's not enough for you to have a really cool meme on just a message that people can carry forward, although I'm not saying that's not good. That's a great essential element. But really having the, the guideposts for others who are going to carry your ideas to their communities, they need to have the, you know, the message, the book, the, the the blueprint in some way. And so I think that was a key differentiator that I was trying to teach my students. Like, what is it? What does it take to make change? And when you've learned something, how can you share that with others? I love it. Okay. So, and then you get honored by the White House. What, what, what which, pro, was that for a specific project or and, and actually, did you go to the White House for that? I did. It was quite an amazing experience. It was under Obama, which was a wonderful time to be in the White House. Um, And I was honored for my work with women's entrepreneurship, um, whether it was through Springboard or through the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. And I was nominated and uh, selected. And we went, there was 100 people who were all honored at the same time. And we were honored from across the United States. And what was so magical about that day, besides, you know, never imagine you're going to get honored at the White House. Okay, let's start with that. But then to be, um, it was a whole day. So after the ceremony, then they actually broke us up into working groups. And we had a chance to sit down with people from different networks. Uh, I had a woman in, from Florida and a guy from Tennessee. And I learned so much from what these people were doing. And I was able to share some of the things that I had also been working on. And so that was, I think that was the hugest gift. Wow, that's incredible. Okay, so so let's let's dive into uh, two wonderful organizations, both of them with with making a great impact. Let's start with Futuro Health, and then move on to Vote by Design, which is obviously very very relevant to the times we live in today. So, the Futuro Health, talk to me a little bit about that. About that, most recently you were the Chief Operating Officer of that organization. What what was the aim over there? So, what was great about Futuro Health is it's a very unique design in the way it came together. So, it was brought about by a partnership between Kaiser Permanente and their largest union, SEIU-UHW. And these two organizations came together and funded this nonprofit, Futuro Health, with $132 million over the next four years. And the focus is, how do we build the next uh, network, as it were, or the next workforce in education, excuse me, the next workforce in healthcare? And so what we're doing is where the union is out there picking up um, connections through the community of all the members that they have, they have 100,000 members, and they're uh, outreaching to friends and family and inviting them to come and go back to school to become healthcare workers. And then wow. Kaiser's money is then spent to actually support these adult learners to go back to become medical assistants, dental assistants, et cetera. Because in California, we are looking at a shortage even before COVID. Was a hundred was looking to be five hundred thousand sh- person shortage in healthcare by twenty twenty five. I know, and that what? kind of scares me because I want to grow old here, right? I want someone to be ready to take care of me when I'm older. So this is really um, and what's unique about wow. it. Not just, of course, this is such an enormous initiative, but it's so unusual for a big organization and a union to come together. That is very rare. But secondly, understanding that it is very hard for an individual, especially a low-income individual, to go back to school. You know, it's a year out of your life. It's expensive to have an organization who not only is going to pay for it, but also going to offer you support through that journey. That's the really critical element because we 
really want to build our workforce, but we can't depend on them to be able to pay for their own education. We need to fund them. And so this, I think, is a, is a model that we'd love to see replicated across the whole United States. Wow. And what, so tell me, give me a little bit of insight into the, into the actual experience of being the operating officer over there. What were some of the greatest challenges you faced and, and some, of the, some of the interesting occurrences you had? Well, the fun thing was I was working with a woman that I actually knew through the Stanford community. She's also a Stanford MBA. Uh, she's a couple of years behind me, and she also has her master's in education. And she was actually headhunted by this group to to start and, and to be the CEO. And she called me. I was her, the first person that she brought on board week one, and uh, we wow. got together. And I was really the person putting in all the infrastructure. So she, while she was doing a lot of managing of the unbelievable amount of politics that were involved, I was really putting in all the you know, getting the bank account, figuring out where we were, who was going to do um, the accounting for us, all of that. And then hiring the team uh, and finding a location uh, up in Sacramento where we were all located. And then, of course, all the all the basics of putting in the financials, putting in all of the wow. system processes. So I learned a ton. Um, I hadn't actually been an employee for a long time. So you know, start, I'm almost always a consultant. Uh, so this was kind of unique for me. Um, but you know, I really believe in the mission of the organization. And I just love everything that we were doing. So I did a whole year um, of commitment to this. And I just left about two weeks ago. So I'm oh, wow. uh, really proud of what the, the organization is on. It's solid footing now. And I know, feel like they're on their way. And, and I really love that startup phase. I'm not person who likes to be there to scale. I really like the foundations and getting everything done. Unbelievable. Okay. Now, and then you, you, you work on Vote by Design, uh, working with the design school at Stanford, which is notorious for coming up with innovative solutions to, to all, sorts of, all sorts of problems. So what, what, is this, what is this project? So Lisa K. Solomon, my client, um, is the founder of Vote by Design, and she came together. She's a entrepreneur in residence, executive in residence over at the design school, and she brought together a group of folks, whether they were uh, design thinking folks, neuroscientists, educators. They came together about a year ago to dis- to rethink how individuals can be empowered to be more to have more agency around voting. How could we create a civic engagement experience for, for voters and would-be voters um, to understand what it means to select a president? And of course, so just to give a context into this problem, because uh, there are a lot of people that are watching this that are outside of the United States. Why, what is the pain point that this program is trying to solve? Uh, because, you know, any person would imagine, yes, we, there's an election. Every person wants to vote because we all want to select our next leader. Right. But that's not exactly the case. Well, there's that is one issue. One is that people don't always choose to go and vote. They feel that their vote doesn't matter um, or they don't really have the wherewithal to understand what does it mean to choose a leader of a country? I mean, most of us, we just we come out of high school, we come out of college, whatever we go vote. Nobody ever taught us anything more than, okay, this is the day. This is the place. You know, this is what you go do. But the actual understanding of how you select a candidate it's very easy, I think, for all of us to be a bit lazy and like, I'm a Democrat, I'm just going to vote the Democratic ticket or I'm a Republican, whatever. But um, personally, as a, as a independent, I find I can't really do that. I need to be more thoughtful. But what this is pushing people to do is to be more thoughtful by creating a one to two hour engaged experience, nonpartisan, non-issue specific, but very much a um 
fun, interactive process for thinking about what are you looking for in a candidate? Like, what are the leadership characteristics that it takes to be a president? What does it take to be a president in a crisis? What did it take for our past presidents? Like, which ones do you think of as successful and why? And then really sort of take all of that and wrap it into a new way of understanding how you might select your in the next election, how you might watch a debate differently. Like I was right. watching the campaign uh, last night, you know, the fourth day of the convention for the Democrats. And just so interesting how leaders are introduce themselves. But if you don't have that lens, if you're not looking at that, you're just looking for the slogans or the, the rah-rah, you may forget that this is selecting the leader, of, as we call it, of the free world, right, of the United States. And that is a a, an awesome responsibility that we want to prepare. So it sounds like what the, the solution that is proposed here, it's less of about trying to actively going and telling people you should go vote, this is important, but get them to actively think intrinsically what matters to them in a leader. And then by having them be more thoughtful about it and be more caring about it, that will create the agency for them to go and take action and hopefully propel this within their own community, right? I couldn't have said it better myself, Wonderful. No, and so what? So so how how has this been going? Is this something that's being active right now in the upcoming yeah. as we're nearing the election? What's been wonderful about it is that we're being able to get this spread across schools, across libraries, across community centers, so that we're, um, we've created these tools freely available on the website, votebydesign.org, and we're giving them away to anyone and everyone, wow. including a facilitator guide, all the uh, materials you need so that you can run these sessions. And so we're encouraging people, as many as possible in high schools and above, to run sessions like this. And, and what we are finding is that teachers love this, community leaders love this, because it's all done for you. You know, you, you can learn how to facilitate this in an hour. The session really? can be anywhere. Yeah. Very easy to facilitate. Um, I participated in one of the first sessions and just fell in love with the whole idea wow. because I thought it was so clever. And and even at my age, having voted for many years, you know what was wonderful was to have it have a new lens provided for me as I make these decisions. I honestly had never really thought about how I choose a president. I'd never really thought about who is it more important this versus that. So I think that these kinds of conversations and this kind of engaged perspective is what we need to have a, a, a citizenship, citizenship with agency, as you said. I love it. No, and I love the scalability because my next question was going to be, it's great to have these sessions, but it seems that it's not really scalable. Bringing people together in a room, teaching a moderator, having a personal personal interaction with the participants. But if you're able to to make this uh, as simple as an hour uh, for somebody to become a, a good facilitator and then take into their own community and create agency within them, then obviously the butterfly effect just continues from there. That is so, so cool. Denise, we, we only have a couple of minutes left, but I, but I have to know a little bit more about you and what you're truly passionate about because we're talking about the future of healthcare, running organizations. We're talking about empowering women and leadership position and venture capital. Now we're talking about uh, politics and, and giving agency to to citizens especially young people what what are you really passionate about what really motivates you <laughs> my motivation is changing the world uh, you know i it's just as simple as that i want to make a difference i want to leave a legacy that matters and i think what's wonderful about the organizations i've started is they're all still in existence they're all still going wow. strong and that's what it means to be a startup person. If you do it well, you put in the bases that are going to allow others to build on top of them and that's what i've been doing my whole career 
So what are some things that I can take with me as I go on my entrepreneurial journey? So I'm pretty much at the point where, where you were at when, when you started your first company. And, and now I get to take some of your insights and, and go with them. Uh, so so what, what things should I be keeping in mind as I go on my journey to hopefully uh, make, an, make a positive impact on the world? Well, I will say the most important thing I've learned, if I only had one, it would be don't build a company because it's cool or it's the fun thing to do. Only build organizations and companies where people already are asking for what you are building. So every time I've been successful, it's because there was a need and it was expressed. In fact, I was usually doing whatever it was for free before anybody ever paid me because people kept calling and needing that service or that um, whatever I was uh, trying to put out in the world, um, that product. And so the time that I did not do that, when I just thought it was a cool idea and I'm just going to go build it, nothing happened, right? But when I build something people already are asking for, so I say to listen. You know, if you listen to the marketplace, it tells you what is needed and where the where the money lays and where the where the audiences lay and that you can just go pick those up and, and go forward. That's wonderful. the best way to build a company. Denise, thank you for being so generous with your time. This was wonderful. I have one last question and that is three words that you would use to describe yourself. Well, I would say anybody who knows me would say the most important thing to know is that I'm very well connected. And I think that's part and parcel of the life that I've built. It's very, um, very connected in many different communities. Um, I'd say the second, which you've already picked up on, is I'm very eclectic. Like, I don't have just one thing I'm interested in. And then third, I'm really passionate and energized about making change. I love it. Denise, thank you very, very much. Continue doing good for the world. And I look forward to following your journey and, and hopefully reconnecting along the way and continuing to ask for advice and support. So thank you very, very much. You're welcome, Michael. It was great to talk with you. Hey.